0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you. I want to start by setting some expectations for the rest of our time together. This morning, we're going to get pretty nerdy as we get into the scriptures, maybe a little bit more nerdy than normal. And then I'm going to ask you for money, (laughs) which is I'm sure what you were hoping when you got up this morning. I'm going to church today, get in the car. I hope we're going to get pretty nerdy and he's going to ask us for money. Um, Maybe the worst introduction to a message I've ever given. That's okay. Let me say it another way. We're going to unpack a really interesting and important story, and we're going to do it on multiple levels. Uh, And then I'm going to invite you to partner with us in some really uh, amazing projects here at Westside. If you're new, uh, one of the things we do every year, at the end of the year, we take the last chunk and we raise some money... At the end of the year, for some projects that are above and beyond what we normally do, projects that we feel like God has put on our hearts and that are really gonna change things uh, for us and some of our partners uh, externally outside of the church. I'm really excited about that, and so we're gonna launch that today. I'm gonna let you know a big picture about some of our projects that we have, uh, and then uh, for the rest of the year, you're gonna hear more and more details about what those are, and I'm just gonna ask you uh, to pray about how God might put it on your heart to uh, be part of that and participate in that campaign. So I want to read you a story from Genesis chapter 22. If you have a Bible uh, or you got it on your phone and you want to follow along, today I'm going to read a whole chunk, a little bit different, but a whole chunk of a story. um, And uh, I hope as I do that... You'll kind of think of some questions that arise in your mind. You'll think of some of your emotions or those moments where maybe you go, oh, this is, this is interesting or weird or crazy. Um, and then we're going to unpack it and uh, look at some of the problems and then some of the solutions with this story. Uh, this is a story about Abraham and Isaac, his son. Genesis 22, verse 1 says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Here is the problem. If You didn't notice it with that passage. If any one of you came to me today after church... And said, Dave, I'm heading up Hamilton Mountain, which isn't really a mountain, but we call it a mountain. I'm heading up Hamilton Mountain, and in devotion to God, I feel like he has spoken to me, and I am going to sacrifice my child. I would probably stop and say, before you do that, you want to grab a coffee? You want to just take a beat, let's talk, and if you said, no, but I believe God has said this to me, he's spoken it to me, and it's, it's, it's you know, my way of showing God that I fear him, and that I have faith in him, and that I'll give him everything, I would, I would stop you from doing that. And we read this passage, and there's this story, and I get it, we get the devotion part and the have faith and the trust, but also, hopefully, you're reading that and you go, what is up with God. What is up with God? I mean, A, you read this and go, how, how could anyone ask a father to do that? Um, this is, even if it's a test, it seems like a pretty cruel test. You know, there's other ways we could go about finding out if Abraham's really devout. Um, is he really going to make him think that he's taking his son and sacrificing? And then we might ask, are we supposed to be like Abraham? And in what capacity? And you might say, well, we're supposed to have faith and trust like Abraham. Sure. But again, if any of us actually got an idea to sacrifice a child, we would hope that everybody would come around and say, you are not supposed to do that. That is not what God wants you to do. So the question is, what then is this passage all about? What can we learn from it? And I want to dive in to probably three different levels of what this story uh, tells us. Uh, about the character of God, why it's there, how we might read it, uh, give you some options and give you some things to think about. So uh, we're going to look at this uh, on a few different levels and kind of pan out as we go and think about the story, not just this story, but the story in which this story fits in in all of scripture. Number one, here's what the story tells us. There's a few things today. The story tells us that Yahweh does not condone child sacrifice. Now, that seems obvious to some of us. And when we talk about that, you go, you know, we believe in a God of love. We believe he was kind and compassionate. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the character of God. Uh, we think it's appalling that, that any God or goddess might call upon someone to sacrifice a child. That is a given for us, and that is good. And part of what the story is doing is telling us that. But that was not a given in the ancient world gods and goddesses were imagined, for the most part, not to be very nice. They were oftentimes mean, sometimes cruel. Their interactions with human beings uh, were were very much like we're in charge and humans will do whatever we ask them to do. They will do our biddings. They will fight our wars. uh, They will work for us. They will serve us. They will give us all the things that we want them to give us. uh, And if not, we're going to make life miserable for them. So, In the ancient world and in this part of the ancient world, there are other stories where the gods or goddesses actually really do call people uh, to sacrifice their children. So we could think of Artemis. She was a goddess, um, and in Greek mythology, there's this story of this this king, uh, Agamemnon, which I probably said wrong, uh, but he is going into uh, Troy, and he's going to fight a war, and he gets all his troops, and they get in boats, and they go into the Mediterranean, and they're sailing across, and all of a sudden, uh, the wind stops, and they can't go anymore, and Artemis is really mad because he had offended her as a goddess, and so Artemis says, I want you to slaughter your daughter. And so as the story, the legend goes, this king slaughters his daughter right there and then, and then all of a sudden, the winds pick up, and they can go on their way, uh, the boats can, can continue to sail, and they can fight their war. That this was part of um, how people imagined their interactions with something. Now, we can question whether that actually happened or it's legend, but this is just some of the, uh, the, the ways they thought about their interactions with deities. We see later, even in the scripture, there's another god called Moloch. And Moloch, um, in the worship of Moloch, who was well known to include some times children's sacrifice that people would come and because they thought that Moloch could give them certain things or a certain kind of life that they needed to be that devoted and so even if it means I'll offer a child that's what we'll do in worship to try and get what we think we need. This story is partially in that context and so we kind of got to go back and as foreign as it might seem to us to have a deity that intervenes and says no that's not what we're doing is actually a really big deal for the way that they think about God. Now, this is interesting. If you, read, um, if you read different stories in the Bible, sometimes, uh, like this one, at the beginning, you think that God is going to do one thing, but by the end, he does something else. Sometimes we have stories where God full out changes his mind. He says, I'm going to go. We have stories where he says, I'm going to destroy a certain people. And then people come and actually pray and intercede and say, no, God, don't destroy these people. Don't do that. And in the end, God relents and he's merciful. And there's a number of ways that we might deal with those passages and, and interpret them and try and figure them out. One of my favorite is that those stories exist, how they do and where they do, not because God is changing his mind, but because we are meant to change our mind about God. So at the beginning of the story, we think God is—he wants to kill these people and destroy them. Uh, He wants someone to sacrifice a child. And we might actually have a perception that God is this angry, uh, violent deity. But by the end of it, as the story unfolds, what the function of the story is meant to do is to help us realize, no, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is not like that. And it's not that he has changed as much as it's us that needs to change our view of him. I think that's a little bit of the setup going on here is that we see in this story at the beginning, how could God possibly ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? And at the end, we are assured, no, God is not the kind of God that calls for child sacrifice. That he wouldn't do that, that he doesn't do that. Number two, we learn uh, in this story, or what this story does. The story gets Abraham back on track. We've talked about Abraham in the last couple of weeks. He is a patriarch of the people of Israel. Um, we read that God gave him promise, uh, a covenant relationship uh, where God would be with him. Specifically back in Genesis 12, verse 2, it says, uh, God speaking to Abraham, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God comes to Abraham. He says, I'm going to do something incredible through you. You're going to be blessed, but not just so that you're blessed. You're going to be blessed so that you can bless the entire world. The entire world will be blessed Through you, that is the promise, and then part of that promise later is that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, are going to have a child, and even though Sarah is too old and it doesn't seem like it's going to make sense, they're called to go, to follow God, to trust in Him, and and God is going to make this promise a reality in the world. Now, between Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 22, which we just read, Abraham doesn't get off to a great start. In some ways he does. He goes, he leaves everything that he knows, and he, he goes to where God is calling us, and that is good. But then there's a, a few stories where Abraham just seems like he can't trust what God is doing in his life. So he goes down to a foreign place, and he realizes it's going to be dangerous. Him and Sarah go, and at one point he goes to Sarah, you're really beautiful, and if we go down there, no doubt these people who are, you know, not friendly towards us uh, they're gonna wanna take you. And if I'm your husband, they're gonna kill me so that they can have you. But if you're my sister, they won't kill me, they'll just take you. So we're gonna say that you're my sister. <laughs> Yo, man. Okay, tough start. He does this twice in 10 chapters. He does it twice. I'm going to go down and I'm going to lie. I'm going to save myself. Good luck to you because that's, you know, off whatever. You can get taken by this foreign people and whatever, but I don't want to get put. So Abraham's not doing super well. And then in the midst of it, he's struggling to really uh, accept the fact and believe and trust that God is going to bless him through his son because Sarah is too old. Sarah, really, I mean, we needed some premarital counseling there, just red flags on Abraham. But he's sitting there and going, I don't think this is going to work out. And so I'm going to have a child with your your maid, basically. And so they go and they do that and they have a son. And God is like, this is not what I had planned for you. This is not you trusting that I could do something that you don't think that you could do, that you think is is too impossible. And so that's an amazing story where it says that Yahweh uh, sees Hagar, who is the the maid, who is the servant, um, and takes care of her. Uh, Abraham and Sarah seem oblivious to what's gone on there. So things have not gone Well, in the chapters leading up to this, what this story does is as we look at the story of Abraham, the patriarch, the one who's supposed to be blessed, to bless the entire world, uh, that is supposed to carry forth God's promises, is when it looks really rocky, this is one of those moments where Abraham gets back on track, at least with the fact that he says, In a very dire and and difficult circumstance, I am going to trust in the character of Yahweh. Now, it's interesting, and this is a little bit debated. Uh, but sometimes uh, we wonder what did Abraham really know or not know going into this this whole thing. So some people would say, "Well, he just he had to go, and if it means sacrificing my son, then I'm going to sacrifice my son, and that's the way it's going to be." There are hints, though that Abraham believes that God is going to intervene. And even though he's asked him to sacrifice his son, that he's not going to really. So uh, we read there that he had his two servants come with them. And when it's time to go make the sacrifice, they take the wood. He takes Isaac. They don't have a a lamb. uh, And he says, we're going to go worship. And the language in Hebrew is, and we're going to come back. That me and Isaac are going over there to do the offering, and me and Isaac, the implication is, are both coming back. That there is this thought that even though it looks like Isaac's not coming back, Isaac, of course, has to come back. Of course, then Isaac says, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And this is where Abraham says that the Lord will provide for his sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews, uh, later in the New Testament, reflecting on this, uh, and he writes that, that Abraham understood that even if Isaac was sacrificed, that God could raise him back from the dead, that his trust was not just that I have to sacrifice my son, but even if God is asking me to do something I totally don't understand, I trust in the character of God who is a God of life, not the kind of God who sacrifices children, and and that's the end of it, but the kind of God that even if it looks like I'm going to lose Isaac, I won't lose Isaac, that he will be resurrected, that I can trust in God, and I can trust in God's promises. And so uh, the story teaches us, A, by the end of it, we realize Yahweh is not the kind of God that condones child sacrifice, which, by the way, later on uh, in uh, Leviticus, That's spelled out really clearly as they put down the law. The child sacrifice is not supposed to be part of this, which again seems a given to us, but in the climate of the ancient world, not necessarily. And then second, the story gets Abraham back on track in terms of this this faithful person who believes in the character and in the name of Yahweh who is calling him to do something and do something that he doesn't even understand. Number three... The story is about God blessing the world and the entire world. This is where we're going to get a little bit nerdy. Stick with me. I think the payoff is worth it. In verse 14, at the end of the passage we read, it says, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. This is the the name of God that we sang about this morning. Yahweh, Yaira, or Jaira, we sang a different pronunciation, and it means the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now, when I read that verse, I know exactly what you're thinking. I was thinking it too. When it says, as it, as it is said on this day, what day are they talking about? Great question. I'm glad that you asked. Now, we got to think about who wrote Genesis, when did they write it, and why? Because the author is saying this story is significant all the way until today when we're on this mountain thinking about sacrificing and thinking about the fact that Yahweh will provide. It is debated when Genesis is written. Genesis is part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They all come together in a literary unit. Most people recognize that in some fashion... A lot of these pieces were edited together over time, over centuries, that there were different pieces and stories that probably circulated, sometimes written, sometimes orally. They would tell these stories. And at some point, somebody put them together, um, wrote stuff to to make it all make sense, tell the entire story. Some tradition is that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, and he very well might have wrote a whole chunk of it, but the Pentateuch uh, ends and Moses is dead, so we know he didn't write that part which means the final version had to be a little bit later. So if Abraham and Isaac, this story is taking place about 2,000 years before the common era, before Jesus, Um, a lot of scholars think it was at least uh, 1,400, 1,200, but probably into the time of the monarchy. Exactly, that's what you're thinking. Monarchy is about 1,000 years before Christ, which is the time of the kings like David and Solomon. And this is why it's significant, because... um, a big part of the promise to the monarchy is building a temple in the promised land on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and the fulfillment of all these promises means here we are as a people brought together, coming through all of the most difficult circumstances that we could imagine, like the Exodus and wandering through um, the desert and trying to get into the promised land was inhabited by uh, the superpowers of the world, and all of those challenges... But one day we're coming towards this time where we are going to be kings. Now, here's another little nugget about Isaac and about Sarah. We read in Genesis chapter 17, God speaking to Sarah, who's the mother of Isaac. He says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So Isaac is not just a son, not just a random character, but through Isaac will be birthed an entire nation, and in those nations, kings, and the kings will reign on behalf of God in this great nation in the promised land, and they will build, this is the promise then to the kings, they will build the temple, they will worship there, they will be God's people. He will be their God. He will protect them and care for them and all the good things that go with it. So that means if we come back to that verse that says, as it is said, on this day, on the Mount of the Lord, which later is talked about as uh, the Mount, Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem, which is where the people get fulfilled the promises of the kings and of David and of building a temple and where there were worship, it means, and even if it's not written here, I think this is still true, if it's not written in that time, it's before, that by the time of David, Solomon, and afterwards, people are now looking back, and we have evidence that when they read stories about Abraham and Isaac and some of the other ones specifically in Genesis, they weren't just reading it and saying, oh, there was an individual, Abraham and Isaac, and they did cool stuff. And should I be like Abraham? Should I be like Isaac? Is it? But instead they were looking and saying, when we read about Isaac and it looks like he's going to be sacrificed on the mountain, but God intervenes and saves him and provides another sacrifice. We're not just reading about Isaac. We're reading about us. Because if there's no Isaac, there's no people, there's no Exodus, there's no wandering through the desert, there's no going to the promised land, there's no monarchy, there's no temple, there's no worship, there's no people of God. Isaac is the linchpin, and so now they look back, and in that story, they see themselves. Here's why they would have. Remember, Isaac is Abraham's son that he loves. In Exodus chapter 4, 22, so now Genesis, we go to the next book, Exodus, and we get into Moses, who's going to rescue the people from Pharaoh and Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 4, Yahweh tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So Israel, when they read a story about a son and a son of promise who is loved, they would go, that is a story. Yeah, maybe about Abraham and Isaac and our ancestors, but it's a story about us. And as they're on the same mountain, and they're making sacrifices to God as part of their relationship, of their worship, of their devotion, they can look and say, just the way, no matter how dire the circumstances, when it looked like Isaac was a goner and he would be sacrificed, then God stepped in and provided a sacrifice. And here's now a people on the same mountain in the temple, they are serving the kings of promise that were coming from the line of Isaac. And as they They give these sacrifices saying, and we are here because Yahweh preserves us, protects us, and provides for us. And with every sacrifice we give, we are reminded that Yahweh provides. Yahweh provides. Yahweh provides. This is our story. This is who we are. All through the centuries, we celebrate. No matter how dire the situation, we are safe in the hands of Yahweh. He will provide everything that we need. So, Yahweh provides, which is the the name uh, given in Genesis 22, means Yahweh Yireh is the translation, and it literally means Yahweh sees. The connection between seeing and providing is that He sees the need. And if Yahweh sees a need, He's going to meet the need. If Yahweh sees the need, He's going to meet the need. And so as the people worship Yahweh, Yahweh provides. He'll see our need, he'll meet our need. He'll see our needs, he'll meet our needs. We continue to worship, we continue to remember and celebrate through the centuries that Yahweh is a God who provides. Can we go one step further? We'll go to New Testament. This is from Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read verse 28, and then i skip down to 31. And I just want you to think, as we uh, work through this, is there anything, any themes that come out that are familiar to what we've already said? This is now in light of Jesus. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. What then shall we say to these things? I mean, how how can we sort of make sense of the fact that even when the circumstances look dire for us, that we know that all things can work out for good. That's the setup. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also meet with him graciously, give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And remember, Abraham believed not just um, that he would have faith enough that Uh, He would sacrifice Isaac, he would be devoted enough, but that he would be risen from the dead if he went through with it. More than that, who was raised, Jesus now, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord no matter how dire the circumstances we believe that Yahweh provides And we see it in Jesus Christ because when when we wonder how could we really stay in contact with God? How do we know that God loves us? How do we know that God will, will stick with us through our hardships, through our sins? Is that he has stepped into that place to be our sacrifice, to bring us together and to assure us in the resurrection of Jesus that there is nothing in this universe that could separate us from the love of God. Yahweh provides. Isaac was safe with Yahweh. The Israelites were safe with Yahweh. We are safe with Yahweh. God sees the need and God provides for the need. He is fulfilling his promise to bless the world through the blessing of Abraham and the son Isaac and the kings that would come and the people that would be there to give birth to Jesus Christ to show the world how much God loves them and that there's nothing in all of creation that could tear us away from his provisional love. God sees the needs. He sees our needs and he sees to our needs. He sees the world's needs. And even if it looks like the story is over, it looks too dire, he sees the needs and he will meet the needs. He is Yahweh Yahaira. Beautiful. And so when we come and worship, no longer on that mountain, no longer with uh, sacrifices of animals, but we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we stand in line and we look at the story and we say, we too are always safe in the hands of Yahweh our provider. And we get to be part of the promise. As God promised to bless the world through Abraham, Isaac, eventually through Jesus. As the church, we get to partner in that promise uh, because we are so blessed and because we are recipients of God's provision uh, to be a blessing to the world. So uh, this is the part where I ask you for money. We're going to start our campaign. As I said, we start a year-end campaign, and there's a few projects, a few uh, things that we think are important to us and are on our heart that we want to fund between now and the end of the year. Uh, this year, we are calling this campaign our ProVision Project, because our English word, provision, means to like what's provided what Yahweh provides for us, comes from two Latin words, pro, which means ahead or forward, and vision, which means to see. And so very similar to what we see, God sees and God meets the needs. We want to partner with Yahweh. We want to look ahead and see some needs and then ask, based on the fact of how God has blessed us, how we can be part of blessing those around us as we see those needs and we meet them. And so uh, today we launch our ProVision project, and I want to share with you the three things that we want to fund this year by the end of the year. And my hope is today that you will simply go away and you will think and pray about how God might put it on your heart to participate between now and the end of the year. Here's the first one. Uh, You heard a little bit about this already from Matt. Next week we're not here. We're at the Westdale Theatre come early. Snack bar's open, by the way, so come early, get some snacks. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a family-friendly service, so bring your kids. We're all in together, um, and it's going to it's going to be really a great time. Um, but, but tomorrow night is Halloween. This room will be used uh, for people who are trick-or-treating in our neighborhood to come to play games, to get candy for us to meet some people in our neighborhood, invite them back to church, build some relationships, have hot chocolate for parents. Uh, Feel free to bring your kids. Come on out. It's going to be great. Um, And then uh, the neat thing is um, the carpet could be totally a mess, but it's okay because on Tuesday, the renovations start. And so while we're gone next week, Some drywall's going to come up. Um, The week after that, we're going to be back here. It might be a bit ugly, because we're going to be partway through. That's okay, though. The carpet's going to go. The stage is going to get a bit of a facelift. We're going to do renovations here in the auditorium. Here's the reason. Our building, uh, which is Uh, decades and decades old is a great tool for us, and we have such a privilege to meet here together and to share Jesus here together. Uh, That's why we use this building uh, to house our children and children's ministry and youth stuff and all that, and we want this place to be functional. We want it to be inviting. We want you to be able to say, I'm not just going to come, especially as we come towards Christmas, but I want to invite my friends and my family and my neighbors, and we want to be ready when they're here to let them know that we prepared for them. We've been praying for them, and we've provided an environment for them and all that is important so that we can share with them how much God loves them and to tell them about Jesus. So that renovation is going to start happening on Tuesday, which is amazing, but it means we also have to pay for it. Carpet being installed, drywall being installed, facelift on the stage, all the rest of it. That is uh, project number one. Number two, and I'm super excited about this... We have an amazing family here in the church, and they run a foundation called Ryan's Rays. And if you've never heard of that, we're going to have a whole Sunday where we tell you all about what they do uh, and introduce you to them and and the work. Um, But they are partnering with an uh, an organization called Hope for Life International in Guatemala uh, to fund the building uh, of a care center for children uh, who have disabilities, um, either physical or developmental. Uh, Many of these children, some of them have been abandoned. Some of them, their families just simply can't, don't have the resources or can't provide their, their, uh, their daily or uh, the kind of bigger needs. And so um, Hope for Life International has a campus where they can get medical attention, where they can get therapies of, of all different kinds. Uh, and right now, what this project is for is to build uh, a care center for children with disabilities. Uh, they're going to increase the number of beds they have by, I think, 23%, which is amazing. They're going to be able to have... Uh, space for more and more children facing so many challenges to be able to come uh, to be fed to be cared for to get uh, medical attention um, to to uh have a place to stay for some of them that just need their their basic needs met uh, and and so many other things. And so uh, we want to partner with them as we fund uh, and get this project off the ground, which is going to be amazing. As I said, next month, we're going to give you more and more details about that uh, and and what that looks like. Uh, But here at Westside, we have such a heart for the next generation um, and to care for those who have big challenges. And we just felt like Man, this is something that really uh, just resonates with who we are and our values uh, and to partner there. And then third, we have some exciting growth and outreach things that are happening here at Westside. So these are uh, a little bit uh, more of things on the regular that we would do, but that are very important. Um, We have Christmas Eve coming up. Christmas Eve is our biggest outreach of the year. Uh, As I said before, where we share with people, we invite people in and share Jesus with them at a time where so many people are willing to come to church um, and check things out. Um, We are looking forward to running Marriage Alpha. If you don't know about that, we'll tell you more about it. Uh, But to build stronger marriages and to help people uh, who are uh, looking to increase uh, just the health of their marriage, which I think should be all of us who are married, uh, just such a powerful thing. Uh, we've got some amazing kids' stuff going on right now. We've experienced so much growth in our kids' ministry this year. There's over 100 kids who are registered for Westside Kids. Uh, it's bursting at the seams up there. We just want to make sure that our kids' ministry and youth ministries are funded and they're going into January. We can do the things uh, to really support uh, what God is doing here at Westside uh, and then to go beyond as we just bless our neighborhood, Dundas, and Lancaster and our city here in Hamilton, as well as beyond in places even like Guatemala this year. So here's the price tag, $25,000 for renovations, twenty-five thousands dollars for the care center in Guatemala, and $10,000 for our growth and outreach initiatives. That's $60,000. It is above and beyond what our normal giving is, and so uh, this is a goal for us that I think is a stretch I think it's one uh, that we have to set out on faith. It's going to be one that's re- going to require uh, sacrifice, which looks different for all of us specifically, but for us to sacrifice. Um, but here's the reason we're doing it is because we believe that God has called us to be part of blessing the world in the ways that he has empowered us to, to be part of the great promise to Abraham that he would bless him and therefore us, so that we could help bless the entire world. And my hope is, as we come to the end of the year and come together to generously partner with what God is doing, we will celebrate as Abraham and Isaac did, as the Israelites did, as we have for centuries, Yahweh Yaira. Yahweh provides, and he always comes through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you that you provide for us. I thank you that in this room, and watching online, there are countless stories of how you have provided for so many of us in ways that we didn't expect, in ways that perhaps we worried about that you have come through. We thank you today that ultimately we see your provision in Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. We see a forgiveness of our sins. We see you've given us your Holy Spirit to walk with you that you continue to work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Thank you that you have blessed us so much, spiritually, materially, physically. I pray that you put on our hearts to think about how we could bless others and over these next couple of months that you would do something in us and through us that we could never do without you. And so we pray for the renovations that are even starting this week that wouldn't just be carpet and drywall, but it would be a project that helps us create an inviting space for people to come and to know you. We pray for a care center in Guatemala that we believe will serve families and children in incredible life-changing ways to help them get the education they need and the, medic, uh, the medical attention they need, the support they need, and the basics of life that they need. And we pray that as we continue to reach out to our city, to invite them here to go out and share your love with them, uh, that you would empower the work that is happening. We pray for our financial goal, which is a big one and ask that you would come through because we believe that you provide. We've read it today. We've seen it in our Savior, Jesus, and I believe many of us have experienced it. So build our trust in you as we set out in Jesus' name.